Hi there, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad that you are tuning into this sermon and so thankful for you. Um, we just want you to know that we have been praying for you, whoever you may be and however you may be watching this. And we trust that wherever you are watching this, whenever you are watching us, that the Lord appointed you to be here and, and to hear this message today. And we pray that the Lord uses it in your life. We want to encourage you to stay connected to what's going on here at Grace, whether you are a regular attender or not. Uh, we want to keep you updated, so please check out our website or our app. Grace B3 is what you need to search for there on our website or in the App Store. And we are consistently updating that with new information um, about what's going on in our church and in our community. Um, as promised, next week, June 14th, before the sermons, you will hear an update about our plans for uh, reopening. Um, we have not nailed down a date for that, but we do have a team put together of staff that is looking through uh, what it takes to relaunch, and um, we will have some more information about that next week before the sermons. We are continuing in our series in the book of Exodus, and our scripture reading for this sermon is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. As we continue on in our series in Exodus, we're going to be taking a look at chapters 3 and 4 in the book of Exodus. And in these chapters, we are going to see some of life's big questions answered. A question that all of us as human beings have is the question of, who am I? How do I find my identity? What is my identity? What do I identify with? It's one of life's biggest questions, and this is a very important question, one that we really need to settle on and find. What is our identity? Not just our occupation, not our political affiliation, but really what is our identity, the core of who we are? This is a very important question, and it's one that Moses asks in this passage. Who am I? But the problem for Moses and the problem for, for us, it is the wrong question to start with. We need to start with a different question. 
And that question is, who is God? And in this passage, God answers that question for Moses and for us. And the answer to that question tells us who we are and also shows us what we need to do. Would you pray with me to those ends? Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would speak. We ask that your spirit would give us a timely word that would encourage, admonish, guide, and comfort our hearts. God, we pray that you would speak to us now. We thank you for your word. Thank you that in turbulent times we have something solid to stand on. God, we ask you to guide our steps. We ask you to help us see what we need to see. God, give us ears to hear. Give us a mind to understand the things that we hear. Make our hearts ready to believe what you say. And give us the hands and feet that are ready to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll start by doing a quick just kind of overview um, of what these two chapters say. Again, it's not going to be possible to go verse by verse through two whole chapters of Exodus, but I do want to just go through and point out some highlights here, and then we'll make some application from it. So for you recall from Exodus chapter 2, Moses, born a Hebrew, um, is saved, even though Pharaoh makes an edict that all the Hebrew boys should be murdered at birth. Moses is saved by the divine intervention of the midwives, of Moses' mother, of Moses' sister, and then Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses is raised in Pharaoh's house. But then Moses is out in the wilderness, and we're told that he is a shepherd. And we are told that the angel of the Lord appears to him. So in verses 1 through 6 of Exodus chapter 3, we see the angel of the Lord appear to Moses as Moses is shepherding sheep out in the country. And as he's out in the country and he is shepherding his sheep, an angel of the Lord appears. Now, commentators and church history tells us that there's a couple of different ways to interpret what the angel of the Lord means. One understanding is that this is a representation or a representative for God an angel that comes that is representing or giving a message to God. The other uh, interpretation here is this is a pre-incarnate Christ, that this is Christ appearing to Moses. It seems, although it's confusing, it seems that the latter is a better interpretation because of the fact that a few verses later, we're told this is the angel of the Lord in verse 2, but then in verse 4, it says the Lord was in the bush. So whatever conclusion we come to, God is speaking to Moses in this miraculous way. And it says that he appears as fire amidst the fire that he is in this bush that is not consumed, yet it is burning. What's interesting about this is that God is representing himself. He is appearing to Moses here in the fire. And this fire is very real. It's something that's happening. This is not an illusion or a dream. This is something that's really happening. And Moses is coming face to face with God. If you do a quick Google search of the term eternal fire, 
there is at least nine different instances in history when a fire has been called eternal because it was made to represent some kind of power, some kind of entity, and it was called eternal. The interesting thing about all nine examples is all nine of them have been extinguished. All nine of those examples of an eternal fire have been snuffed out. They were not eternal after all. Here, the eternal God is appearing to Moses, and he has a message for him. And one of his first messages is, I've seen and heard the afflictions of my people. This refers back also to last week at the end of chapter 2. God tells his people, I've seen you, I've heard you, and I know you. Here he is reiterating that. In verse 7, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. And in this miraculous face-to-face encounter with God, Moses has a question. And it's a reasonable question. His question is, who am I? We see this in verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? That I should be the one that would go to Pharaoh and say, God is going to deliver the Hebrews. Now remember, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, though he is a Hebrew. And then God is telling Moses to go back and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. That God is going to empower Moses with this message and that God is going to miraculously use Moses and Aaron to deliver his people. And Moses has the question, who am I? He has this question for two reasons. The first one is, he grew up a Hebrew, he's raised in Pharaoh's house, and now he's a shepherd. He has this question of, who am I? Am I Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? Am I a shepherd? Am I royalty? Am I a common Hebrew? He is asking, what is my identity? The second thing is he is saying, I don't feel worthy to carry this message. And we'll get back to that in a moment. This question of who I'm I is coming from also the fact that he, at this point, is a shepherd. A shepherd is never someone that's looked highly upon, especially in biblical times, though God continues to call lowly shepherds as his deliverer, as his mouthpiece. We see this in Moses. We see this in David. We see this as Jesus calls himself a good shepherd. And then in the Old Testament, God himself calls himself a shepherd for his people, Israel. God calls the lowly and he identifies with the lowly. And we're seeing that right here. And God has an answer to Moses's question, but it's not what you might think. God does not answer with a resounding word about the identity of Moses, but God responds with a resounding word about the identity of this God that is coming face to face with Moses. Look with me at verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? And what shall I say to them when they ask what is his name? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me. 
This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. To Moses' question of who am I, God answers the question with, let me tell you who I am. He is telling Moses, your identity needs to start with the God who has called you. And he says the same to us. That when we are looking to God and asking for identity, we first need to know not just who we are, but we need to know the God who created us. And that's what he's telling Moses here. This term, I am who I am, is interpreted in a number of different ways based on your English translation. And there's been volumes and volumes written about what this phrase, I am, means. When, when God calls himself the I am I think the most helpful translation of this and the most faithful transition, oh, translation of this could be said this way. I will be who I am. I will be who I am. God is making a statement here that he is the one true God and the only God. And also he is making a statement about how he is the eternal God. He was not conjured up by man. He has existed for all time. He will exist in the future. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is what he is saying by saying, I am who I am. God could have said a lot of things about who he is. He could have called himself a number of different names. And in fact, the Bible calls him multiple different names. But here, God is making a statement about who he is. He is also saying, I name myself. Think about this. Everything else is given a name. We are given a name by our parents. The animals are given a name by Adam. People are given a name through history. We look back and we call people certain names. Our names are given to us, not God. That's something he's saying here. I exist outside of man's authority. I am my own authority. I give myself a name. No one else names himself. So Moses has the question, who am I? God responds, I am who I am. And then God says what he's going to do. Exodus 3, verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. So he tells Moses what he's going to do. That he is eventually going to deliver God's people through Moses, and he is going to strike the hand of Egypt. Moses still has this question, how will the elders of Israel believe me? How will they trust me coming out of Pharaoh's house, even though I'm Hebrew by blood? And God lays out in the first 10 verses of chapter 4 these miraculous signs that Moses is to do before the elders in Israel. After he says this, Moses has another concern for God, and he, we pick this up in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. 
But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Here, Moses has another objection. He says, I'm not eloquent of speech. I'm slow of speech. We don't know if this is a physical speech impediment, a lack of skill. We don't know what exactly is going on here. But we can see inside Moses what's going on. We can see where Moses' thought pattern is. Again, he's saying, I don't have the strength to do what you're calling me to do. What is God's response to him? I made your mouth, Moses. I give you a name. I say who you are. I made your very mouth. So how are you worried? Why are you anxious about having the right words when I made your mouth? And I am calling you, and I will give you the words to speak. It's very similar to the words of Jesus when he tells his disciples, do not be afraid when you are called before the religious leaders. Do not be afraid that you will not know what to say. I will give you the words to speak. God is saying the same thing to Moses here. If we continue on to verse 21, we hear God say, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will not listen to you. He's saying, though you are not eloquent, I will give you the words. And it will be the right words, but Pharaoh won't listen to you. He will not obey the words of God. This is similar to Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is confronted with the glory of God, and God says, go and send my message. Here's my message. Isaiah says, who am I? Just like Moses says. But he says, here I am, send me, Lord. And God says, here's the message. And he gives Isaiah a message, and he says, but the people won't listen to you. This is so common for God's people, God's prophet, to speak the words of God, yet it fall on deaf ears. Or as Jesus says, on bad soil. Moses is told that though I will give you the words, they will fall on the bad soil of Pharaoh's heart. Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, are three of the strangest verses that we find in Scripture. I don't have time to unpack all of it, but it is significant to our story. So let me break it down, and then let me tell you why it's important. Basically, what takes place is Moses receives this word from the Lord. He comes down from the mountain, and before he can get down from the mountain, his wife, Zephorah, she confronts him and says, we must circumcise our son or the Lord will try to kill us. And it says the Lord tries to kill Moses, who he just commissioned. There is all kinds of sovereignty of God issues going on there that we don't have time to jump into that into the pool today. But let me tell you why this is significant. This is significant for a couple of different reasons. The first one is, yet again, we're only in chapter 4, but yet again, God intervenes. God intervenes and he uses a female, a woman, to do his purposes. We've seen this in the midwives. We've seen this in Moses' mom, Moses' sister, Pharaoh's daughter, and here with Moses' wife. We're going to continue to see this theme, and in fact, we're going to talk about this theme more when we get to Exodus 19. God using men and women for his purposes. After you read the book of Exodus, it is not an understatement to say if it was not for these women, the nation of Israel wouldn't have made it out of Egypt. And they would not have made it to the promised land. 
And in fact, we continue to see Moses struggle with anger and unbelief, and there are faithful women around him doing some amazing things. That's the first significant thing. The second significant thing is this circumcision was the sign of the covenant given to Abraham. This is a circumcision of the skin to represent a circumcision of the heart that God is saying my people need. And this is a reminder of their covenant with God. This in some way that is hard for us to understand because we don't have all the information. This is some way of Moses' wife reminding him, do not go forward without the Lord's blessing. Do not go forward until you remember the covenant he made with us. So that's why this is important. You cannot move forward without the salvation, blessing, and covenant with God. And you cannot do God-sized tasks with human strength. It's a good reminder to Moses, and it's a good reminder to us. At the end and conclusion of Exodus chapter 4, we see Moses and Aaron perform these miraculous signs before the elders of Israel and the elders of Israel rejoice because they know that their God has seen, has heard, and knew them and has a plan to to deliver them. So let's talk about what's significant about this narrative. There's a lot of pieces moving here. There's a lot of interesting things going on. But what's most important? In this passage, Moses asks, who am I? Who am I? The reason is because Moses was given a mission that was too big for him. He felt that he had a voice that was too small. And he felt like there were too many obstacles in place. The mission was too big, his voice was too small, and the obstacles were too great. Again, recap the circumstances. To be deliverer for the people of God from the most powerful nation in the known world, the Egyptians. The boy who was born Hebrew, miraculously saved, grew up in Pharaoh's home, and is now a shepherd, and either is not confident in his own speech or legitimately has a speech problem, is now being called by God to go stand before the one who is in charge of Egypt, whose house he grew up in, and demand that he let Moses' people go. The people that are seen as a threat, we know that from the first chapter. So he's given a mission that is too big. He feels his voice is too small, and the obstacles are so many. So many. And in fact, he knows that Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened, so it's not going to work right away. This is a tough, tough challenge. So why is this important for us? Because as we ask the question, who am I? Or who are we as God's people? God answers with telling us who he is. And it's important for us because like Moses, we have been given a mission that is too big. We have been given a voice that is too small, and there are too many obstacles to overcome. So we need to jump into that. We need to talk about this. We have been given a mission that is too big. Our mission, fill the earth with the knowledge and glory of God. Go and make disciples of all nations. Be a part of God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. That sounds great. It sounds noble. It looks good on a t-shirt, but man, is it hard. 
Man, is it hard. The worries of this world, so many societal things going on that are so complex right now. The enemy who is against us and against God, against God's church. There are so many things that make the mission way too big. If you're like me, it's easy to just get overwhelmed with our daily troubles and concerns, let alone being on mission for God. Our mission is too big. He has told us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, but man, it doesn't feel like that most days. It feels like I am not prevailing. The church is not prevailing. The things of God are not prevailing. It does not look like his kingdom is coming. It does not look like his will is being done in my life, in our community, in our nation, in our world. So the mission is too big. And our voice is too small. Our voice as individuals and our voice collectively is too small. As you know, we are going through a reorganization around our vision here at Grace, where we as a staff and and pastors are seeking the Lord and also outside consulting to better organize ourselves around the vision that God has called us to and really serve you all better as a church. And we're going to come up with some great things out of this. God is already providing in this process. But no matter what we come up with, it is going to be nothing without the spirit and power of God, because our voice is too small. Our voice is too small. As individuals, we have weaknesses that keep us from accomplishing God's purposes. Collectively, as a people of God in this church, at Grace Community Church, we have weaknesses as an organization because we're a bunch of people with weaknesses all coming together. And then the church collectively, the church universal, has weaknesses that is so hard to overcome. So our voice is too small. And the obstacles are too great. Our country is divided. Our politics divide us. The racial issues in our country divide us. Oh, and by the way, we have an enemy, the devil, that hates the things of God. And he is a defeated foe, but he is fighting like crazy against anything good trying to happen in God's church. So, just like Moses, our mission is too big, our voice is too small, and the obstacles are too great. So what do we need? We need a word from the Lord. We need him to not just answer the question of who we are as his people. We need to hear from him, God, who are you? Who are you? What did God tell Moses? And what is God telling us? A few things. Number one, God is telling us it's my plans. He says, I make the plans. And the gates of Hades will not stand against my church That should tell us that we need to hold our plans loosely. No matter how anointed our plans may feel, no matter how right or wise we think we are, we need to hold our plans loosely. Because here's the thing. 
I am hopeful for the future of Grace Community Church. I am hopeful for the gospel witness of the churches in Iowa City. I am hopeful for what God is doing here in our community. But here's the thing. When God says the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church, he means his people doing his will for his glory. And if we step outside of that personally or as a church or as a church universal, then the gates of hell will prevail against us. Our own pride or our own flesh or our own sin can take us outside of what God is planning for the world. So we need to hold our plans loosely and make sure our plans, our vision, our mottos, our slogans, our lives are in step with him. God says, it's my plan. Next, God says, it's my promise. It's my promise. We break our promises as individuals all the time. As a a leader at Grace Community Church, as a pastor, I have made a vow, basically, a covenant to serve you. But I don't always do it perfectly. I make mistakes. I break my promises. I break my promises to this church, my fellow elders, my wife, my kids. But God always keeps his promises. So when he says, I am with you to the end of the age, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, we can take it to the bank. Because God always delivers on his promises. The next thing is God says, it's my voice that people need to hear. It's my voice that people need to hear. So in order for us to hear God's voice and for us to speak with the voice of God, we first need to pray. Then we need to listen to him. And then we need to speak the truth in love. Pray, listen, and then speak the truth in love. That's the only way that we can be God's voice. Because I don't trust my voice. I don't trust my voice. But I trust his voice. So I need to talk to him, listen to him, and then speak only what he tells me to say. The next thing God tells us is, I am who I am. I am the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though your situation may change, your life may change, I do not change. God wants to tell us who he is. So as we read this book of Exodus, as we get into his word, as we spend time with our Savior, we need to see and hear who he is. Then God tells us what he tells Moses. I will be with you. I will be with you. The presence of God is a major theme of Exodus. He says, I'm going to send you on an impossible mission. You're going to suffer. You're going to take the long way. You're going to get defeated in battles here and there, but I will be with you. God tells us he is with us, and we need to receive that comfort, and we also need to receive that power. He tells us, In Exodus 3, 8, I've heard and seen, and now I'm coming down to deliver you. I'm coming down to deliver you. The amazing thing is that with the Spirit of God in us, with the power of God in us, we can remember that he is always with us and we can move forward in comfort 
and power. And as A.W. Tozer says in The Knowledge of the Holy, God needs no one, but when faith is present, he can use anyone. When we have faith that our God is with us and he is the great I am, we can walk in his comfort, his power. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to know who our God is. And we have not just the Old Testament, but the New to tell us who our God is. So the last thing that our God tells us that I want to mention here today is that he has suffered for us. And in Exodus 3.8, when he says, I have come down to deliver, he came down and delivered in a multitude of ways for God's people in the Old Testament. But then in John chapter 1, we are told that he came down as God in the flesh, and he suffered and died for us. In his commentary on Exodus, Terence Frothheim says, God suffers with his people, though he is not powerless in the face of it. God suffers with his people, but it does not mean he is powerless. We know this because though God came down, Jesus came fully man, fully God, he suffered for our sake, but on that cross, as God himself suffered, he was accomplishing the greatest good that you and I could ever experience, the salvation from our sins. We, through his sacrifice, we, through his suffering, experience the very presence of God. We are made right with God. His spirit comes and lives inside of us with resurrection power because Jesus rose from the grave. God suffers with us, but he is not powerless. In fact, in Jesus' life and ministry, he called himself, I am. He had seven statements about who he was using the phrase, I am. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. And lastly, I am the resurrection and the life. We can know who we are when we know who God is. And we know who God is and we are in right relationship with him because of what Christ has done for us. God came down and fought for his people and delivered his people in Exodus in the New Testament, we see God come down and suffer for his people to deliver them from the bondage of sin and death. What more could you need from your God? He has provided us everything we need. So what can we do in response to what he has done for us? Three quick things. First, give him your life. Give him your life. We give our life to all kinds of things. We give our resources, our time, our energy, our allegiance to so many things. Sports teams, brands, all kinds of activities. He is the only one worthy of our entire lives. Give him your entire life. Lay down your plans and receive his plans for your life. Give him your life. The second thing is give him your plans. You probably have a plan. 
for your life, the next phase of your life, whatever is next for you, you probably have a plan. Give those plans to the Lord and say, God, anything that is in my plan that is not what you want for me, erase those plans and give me your ways and your plans. When I was a senior in high school, my plan for my life was to play college basketball and become a college basketball coach. And in my wildest moments of fantasy, I dreamed of even someday becoming the coach of my beloved Kansas Jayhawks. As you can see, that did not come to fruition. Shortly after I kind of crystallized those plans and really thought through how to pursue those plans, God let me know he had another plan. And he called me into ministry in his church. And 21 years later, I'm so thankful that he did. His plans were so much better than I could have ever known or than I could have ever planned for my life. Moses thought he had a plan. And that was to run away, be a shepherd, live incognito, no Hebrews, no Egyptians, keep me out of this mess. But God had a plan. Lastly, give him your voice. Give him your voice. Make it your greatest desire that the words of your mouth, the thoughts in your mind, the meditations in your heart would be pleasing to God. We need him, just like I just quoted that from Psalm 51, we need him to give us his plans We need him to create in us a clean heart. We need him to purify our words, the motivations of our heart, the things that we think, the things that we do. We need his grace and his mercy that Jesus bought for us on the cross, and we need him to give us a voice. It is so hard to know what to say right now. If you say something about wearing a mask, if you say something about the pandemic, if you say something about when we should meet together again, if you say something about what's going on in our country, if you talk about police, if you talk about race relations, whatever you talk about, it's a landmine. It's so hard to talk about things right now. It's so challenging to know what to say. We need God's voice, God's wisdom, as we speak to one another, as we proclaim the gospel, as we declare the good news, we are a proclaiming people. The gospel means good news. We need to make sure that we are communicating the good news with our voice, with any voice that God gives us, whether it's with our roommates, our kids, our spouse, people in our community, people in our church, people in this world, whatever platform, whatever opportunity, wherever God has placed us, we need to hear the voice of God and be the voice of God. Moses at least recognized he had nothing to say because the mission was too big, his voice was too small, and the obstacles were too great. Just like they are for us, we need to hear the voice of God. We need to speak the voice of God. We started by asking the question, who am I? When we wonder what our identity is and we ask the question, who am I? Our God responds with, let me first show you who I am. Let's go to his word. Let's look to the cross. Let's listen to his spirit to hear who we are today. And let's see him work in us and through us 
as the people of God. Our mission is too big. Our voice, our abilities, our purity is too small. Our obstacles are too great. But our God is big. Our God is great. And our God is with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, your word. Thank you that as we read it, we are told to remember what you did in Exodus. Remember how you delivered your people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God, as we face obstacles today, God, we pray that we would remember how you delivered your people and that you are the same God today that you were in Exodus. You are the same God as you were as Jesus died on the cross for us. You are the God that knows us, you see us, You've delivered us. God, we want to be your people with your message, with your voice. Give us words to say. Remind us you are with us. God, help us when we feel defeated. God, when we question who we are, we pray that we would remember first who you are and what you have done for us. We pray that we would go out this week and be your people and remember you are with us. And that we would glorify your name because your name is worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.